This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of I Want to Matter. Your life is too short and too precious to waste. Written and narrated by New York Times bestseller Kathy Lee Gifford. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Dynamic voices for a diverse church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic. Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church, powered by the Reformed African American Network. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter at Burns23. Follow at your own risk. And joining me, as always, is the president of the Reformed African American Network, Jamar Tisby. Jamar, what's going on, sir? Man, I'm getting excited. We've got the Legacy Conference coming up in July. Hopefully, we'll have some new ran and pass the mic swag for that we may even get no, like you can't a, you can't a, let them notice you can't let that out the I'm bag just saying, we still i'm just saying you know a little teaser letting for the stuff papers. out man <laughs> you come to legacy you might get something cool man i ain't gonna say what it is but it's gonna be unique and i don't know if we do what we think we're gonna do nobody gonna have what we have. <laughs> maybe someone will be, will, be, will be doing what we're doing but who knows who knows who knows who knows <laughs> just be there we're having an official pass the mic meetup uh our illustrious executive editor elodie quitant is organizing that so if you're in the private pass the mic face group check that out but we'll have more details coming soon so we're excited about that coming up and also the ldr weekend leadership development and resource weekend is coming up september 1st through the 3rd you can still get early bird pricing if you act fast but this is a family reunion y'all it is one of the two conferences along with legacy that i make it a point to attend every year tyler burns is going to be in the house as well as <laughs> first time at ldr which is going to be fun which, man. yeah it's sad that it's the first time but hey, we'll, hey don't, we'll don't, don't, no condemnation romans a1 bro romans a1 right now but check out ldrweekend.com and you can register there you won't want to miss this Absolutely. We also want to announce that the winner for our first listener appreciation contest for this month is Nick K. Nick, shout out to you, man. He was actually writing us from overseas. So I actually don't know how in the world we're going to get this bundle to him. It might be a Kindle bundle or something like that. You know, we might have to, I don't know, Nick, you got to reach out to us and let us know, man. I don't know. You, You might need to come back to the States to get this bundle. But we want to shout him out. Wrote a really, really lengthy encouraging posts to us about all the ways that Pastor Mike has helped him to gain courage and also to change his outlook. So shout out to you, Nick. Now, I also want to announce this. The next contest is going to be something that I think is going to fall right in line with our Pastor Mike listeners. Now, next contest, I'm dubbing it the PTM Freedom Playlist Contest. Now, recently in the PTM uh, private Facebook group, we've had a lot of people that have talked about this special like gospel music playlist, and it's amazing. You got to go to the group to check that out. But I want to do something really unique, and I want you guys to come up with your best Freedom playlist for PTM. Now, this, these are the rules. It's a max. I, I would love to say it's, it's between seven to 10 songs. So it's a max of 10 songs. It must be at least seven songs. But these are any genre, any sort of type of playlist that you can put together. You can either put it in a Spotify and send that to us. You can tweet at us with the hashtag PTM Freedom. That's PTM Freedom. 
or you can email it to us at submit at randnetwork.org. And also it's okay if you just want to put list them out and type them out, you know, one through 10 or one through eight, one through seven, however, and you just want to email that to us or tweet that at us, that's perfectly fine as well. But get involved in this because the winner, they're going to get something nice, but also that will be the official PTM Freedom Playlist. So moving forward, that'll be the official. You got those bragging rights along with what we're going to give you, which you'll find out here soon. I'm thrilled about this. I can just imagine jamming, driving in the car or even just some healing music after the next racially charged incident. So I'm excited to see what folks will come up with. That's it. PTM Freedom Playlist, man. We need these jams, bro. We need these jams. So Jamar, you recently wrote this article that we want to talk about today. Very poignant article. And let me just say this, man. You're a good writer, bro. For real? Like, like we, we, look, you're a good writer, man. I'm going to give you your props publicly because you know you can write just, just off top. Like that's, but like you, you went in your bag on this one. Like you really said, I'm a, I'm a pull it out here. And the title just puts it all on the table. It's on randnetwork.org. If you have not had a chance, we need you to go there and read this article. It's entitled, If Philando Castile Was a Threat, Then Black People Are Never Safe. Jamar. That's a lot, bro. Man. That's a lot. Talk to us about how this article came about. So. Just to recap, Philando Castile was a cafeteria worker in a city near Minnesota. He was pulled over, and this man had been pulled over over 40 times in his driving career, so it was nothing new. Unfortunately, this would be his last encounter. He was pulled over. um, Officer Yanez, who, who got out of the car and encountered him, did the typical, you know, license and whatnot. Philando Castile, who's African-American, informed the officer that he did have a gun in the car, a gun that he was licensed to carry, and the officer told him not to go for the gun. Well, the officer also told him to get his wallet. And so Castile repeats again and again, I'm not getting my gun, I'm not getting my gun. The officer said he feared for his life, fired seven times into the car. Philando Castile dies. Now, the reason we know about this as a general public is because his girlfriend, Diamond Reynolds, was in the car and she filmed the immediate aftermath in a live feed. Hmm. Also in the car was her four-year-old daughter. Well, all that went down. This was last year in uh, July 2016, I believe, and the verdict came back that the officer was not guilty. And so for African-Americans and many of their allies, this just resounds as yet another example of the criminal justice system not working because the videos, not only Diamond Reynolds' video, but the dash cam video that, re- that was released later doesn't show any sort of aggressive action on the part of Castile doesn't at all support any sort of narrative that said the officer's life was in danger. In fact, the officer himself sounded like the panicked one. Meanwhile, the people in the car were otherworldly calm. And so that's stuck with a lot of folks, including me, and I'm sure you, Tyler, and many of our listeners. Um, So I just wrote and I responded to that how I was really feeling. Man. So you said that if Philando Castile was a threat, then black people are never safe. Like expound on that. Like when you say we're never safe, if this man was a threat, like what about this situation in particular 
is so harrowing for us, and especially as men with families who ride in the car with us. Like, like, what about this situation touches that nerve? I literally pictured myself in the car with my wife and child. And I can't tell you how many times when we're driving somewhere and we live in the country, so anything, any sort of bigger city is at least an hour away. I can't tell you how many times we've been driving and I thought to myself, well, even if I get pulled over, surely the officer will see me here as a family man with my wife and child in the car. And clearly I'm not going to pose a threat right now in this situation. But that was the exact situation that Philando Castile had. And it still didn't save his life. There was still the presumption of guilt because he was a black man. And I said, if this man in the car who informed the officer ahead of time, who did everything that society tells black people to do in order to survive encounters with law enforcement, if he did all of that and he still ends up dead with no conviction on top of it, then black people are never safe in America. I can't imagine a scenario in which I wouldn't be presumed guilty Mm. on the spot. And so that's what it is, the randomness of terror against black people. I I could be, I mean, I I literally walk through this process in my mind. I like to go for walks just to clear my head. A lot of times it's at night because it's the end of the day and I want to just process everything. But I recognize the inherent danger in that because (laughs) a black man walking at night could be deadly to me. Uh, So I bring my ID, I bring my key, I have my phone all of these precautions, and yet if Philando Castile still was shot and killed, that's still no guarantee, despite all my mm. preparation, all my forethought, it's no guarantee that I would survive. So I just wrote about that, man, and I feel like, look, there's there's nowhere and there's nothing we can do to truly be safe from the prejudicial thoughts and actions of others. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because a couple of years ago we did ironically with with Aaron James who was on our previous podcast we did a show about guns you know and and should Christians own guns and and what's the thought process that goes into that and it really wasn't necessarily to answer the question but kind of to provoke a conversation and so at that time I was pretty much firm on kind of the no originally I'd been a yeah sure it's fine and then I was kind of like okay well no for me personally um, not prescribing, you know, that for anyone else or binding anyone's conscience right. on on owning or not owning a weapon. But you know, I I kind of thought pretty strongly that that's a no for me. Well, recently there were some situations that had kind of come up that reopened that door. Mm. That said, you know, there's a potential. You know, I'm an expecting father, and so there's a lot of different things that go into that, and some things that have happened locally, and some tragic situations. And so I said, man, maybe it's wise for me to at least think and explore this. You know, and again, not binding anyone's conscience or trying to put anyone on a guilt trip, but. This situation, the Philando Castile situation, closed that door shut. It slammed that door shut. And I think because I don't know of a way in which I could not be perceived as threatening and 
not, I, I actually, the, the main thing that I feel worried about is I don't feel like I have adequate training to deal with the police. So I don't necessarily know, and I've been to seminars and I've hosted them and I've hosted forums. I don't necessarily know if I'll panic, if that's going to cost me my life, or if I don't say or make the right action. I, I'll tell you an example of this. So my wife and I were driving, it was a while back, and we got pulled over and I was actually not driving. So I was in the passenger side of the car. And, you know, when you when you get pulled over, it's, it's like heavy disequilibrium. So you don't really know like what's going on. You know, there's a light shining in your face and you think about all these incidents. And so immediately, like I press record, you know, that's hmm. just what we do. We know that. Yeah. And so the officer got my wife's license and they asked where we're going we were a couple of steps away from our apartment. So that question in and of itself is like, why are you asking us that question? You know, but it's cool. It's whatever. And so he asked that. We say we're going home. We live right up the street, all this other stuff. And so then all of a sudden his partner comes up on the other side, the passenger side. And so he comes up on the passenger side and I was like I was completely caught off guard because he's giving, huh. I'm not driving. So I was completely caught off guard. So I'm just kind of looking and I'm like flustered for a moment. Like, whoa, I wasn't expecting this light to come out of nowhere. And I'm thinking he wants to talk to me. And instantly, I, I don't know why, but I reached for the door. Wow. Like, yeah. So it was just like, I was just panicked. And so at that time, our passenger side door wasn't opening. So it wasn't opening from the inside. So I'm thinking, whoa, if I had actually opened that door, that would have been seen as something totally wild. Like I could have, I don't know, who knows what would have happened in that moment. But they were getting my license because there's a suspicion that if she's driving, then I'm trying to not be seen as the driver or whatever. I don't know what they was thinking. But I'm thinking in that moment, yo, they could just snuff me <laughs> because I made a moment. I made this, this you know, an, an action all because I was nervous. I was like, man, what are we doing here? Like what's going on? So it's just that disequilibrium. And now I'm thinking, man, you compound that with a gun and there's justifiable cause to shoot me. And I'm just thinking like, yo, this is crazy. So when you were saying this, I'm like, yeah, you know what? You're probably, you're probably right, Jamar. Like there's really no situation where we could be perceived as believed if Philando Castile himself is getting, if his killer is getting off free. Yeah. The worst traffic stop I had was in a season where it was, I had been stopped six times in the span of between four and six months. So it, it was almost a, a monthly occurrence. Only twice in, in those uh, stops did I get a, a traffic ticket. Um, both of them were for, for speeding on a, on a highway, I think. Um, the worst thing. Mark got that left foot. You got that left foot. <laughs> Look, I'm telling you, when you're on Highway 49 and you're just trying to get somewhere, it, it, it's, <laughs> my goodness. Um, yeah, yeah. But uh, the cop pulled me over. I, I did something stupid too, but it wasn't illegal. He was tailing me, and I was like, "Is he following me? What am I doing?" So I turned off into. I turned onto a side road that. It, it wasn't on my route. I just turned to see if he would follow me. Well, sure enough, he did. And as soon as I did that, his lights come on, pulls me over. But there was this mm-hmm. presumption of guilt. And yep. I had never yep. been asked to step out of the car before. Hmm. But he asked me to step out of the car, asked, do I have any 
needles on me that might poke him. He frisked me, had my hands on the car, searched my car for no reason. I mean, I at that point, wow. I didn't know. Violated your rights, you know? just off top. Um, he found some some little uh, cigars, tobacco cigars that I sometimes smoke on long drives and asked me if there was weed in them. And I didn't even know what was happening. Like, this is so far from my realm of experience. I had no category right. for it. And right. I guess I'm thankful that I was sort of stunned into silence. I didn't say or do much because my head was trying to catch up with what was happening. But it's so disorienting in that moment, which is why I'm amazed yep. how calm Castile and his girlfriend were and the four-year-old girl in the exactly. car. Um, exactly. But you never know. And I and know. Then I think, man, they've done this so many you know times. Exactly. That, that's just trained over time. The sad experience of it all gives you that sense of, of calm sometimes. But I'm just like, you know, any encounter like that could potentially be violent or even fatal because we still have this image, particularly of black men, as a threat. Right. And if we don't confront that consciously and intentionally, and here's the key, right? I can imagine a lot of people listening to this saying, I, I don't think that about anybody. I don't think that about black people. This is not at the forefront of your thoughts. Yeah, this is a reflex. This is yeah. why people, you know, women clutch their purses uh, when, when, um, a black man approaches or they lock their or, or people lock their car doors. Now, that, that's not the only reason. Right. And, and sometimes it's wise as a precaution. But when those kinds of precautions are automatically kicked into action, when the person has dark skin, that's a problem, especially when you are authorized to use lethal force. Right. That that takes me back to one part of your article, which I'd like to reference, where you say white supremacy has always found a way to make black people culpable for their own persecution. So whenever there's that implicit bias that arises or whenever there's a fatal situation, the rush is to justification. The rush is to rationalization. Well, if he wouldn't have done this, if he wouldn't have done this, almost this hyper, this superhuman way in which we must be perfect around police officers or perfect around those who are in authority over us to get out alive. Like, why is there perfection? Like, why does there, we don't expect that of anyone else. Why do we expect that um, of Black people, of people of color uh, on a larger sense? I also want to talk about this statement here that you made. The courts cater to the oppressors. Those who murder have the power. In America, the criminal justice system offers no comfort for Black people. It promises only tears. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think some people are jarred by that statement. But when you think about it, that statement makes all the sense in the world. Yeah. So I think that statement came right after a quote from Ecclesiastes 4.1, which says, again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. So hmm. this whole Philando Castile, his, his, his murder, and then the, the, the not guilty verdict, it, it, it caused me to lament. And I went to the Bible, and I found this passage in Ecclesiastes, and I said, this statement about oppressors and power that really applies to the criminal justice system in America. It is a system that was not designed to dispense justice equally. 
the poor and people of color don't get the same kind of justice as wealthy people or white people. And so when cases like these go to the courts or when the poor or people of color go to the courts, the strength, the power is on the side of the courts. And when courts don't dispense justice, they become one of the oppressors. And so power is on the side of the oppressors. And it's historically been that way. Uh, it doesn't always in every instance work out like that, but it does enough times for particularly African Americans to have a sense that if I go to court, it's, it's not going to be to my advantage. It's not going to work out mm -hmm. fairly for me because of the way the system is set up. Right. Right. Absolutely. There's another portion that I'll reference, and then I want to say something about it. You said here, again, going back to your infamous, you don't feel safe moments, Jamar. You gotta stay away <laughs> I from need those. to stay away from that word. It's not, <laughs> safe is not a safe word. <laughs> right. Absolutely. So you said, I don't feel safe in this country as a black man. A stroll around my neighborhood could possibly result in an arrest or worse. I could be driving to the bank and never come home again. I might reach for my wallet and catch a clip full of bullets for my trouble. All because being black in America comes with the presumption of guilt. You know, I think people assume too much about those types of statements they assume that that's becoming more popular because there are more people who are becoming aware of that. And that is not the case. Like I can tell you just personally from seeing what people say and how they say it around me in proximity to me in my city, in the little religious circle that I run in, I guess you could say, uh, or Christian circle that, that I'm a part of, in that small little echo chamber, that's really not a popular mentality. It's really more so the PTM group and, and other people where people say, yes, of course, we know that is the truth. And they would affirm that. But the reality is there is still this mentality that rational thought is at odds with demanding justice. There's still that mentality that those who possess rationality, those who possess uh, balance, those who possess nuance are the ones who are not making demands. Hmm. And those are the ones who are not on the side of the oppressed. They're not using this oppressed oppressor language. They're not using white supremacy. They're not using some of these words. They're not using the word safe. I don't feel safe about this or that. And there's still that perception because they believe that that what is what is clearly being seen in front of our faces what is clearly being seen on a dash cam or a Facebook live video, there's some way that we can explain this away. Like there's right. some, there's some fact, nebulous fact that will justify what we clearly see with our own two eyes. And, and I think that's so dangerous, but I think it, it makes these statements and these articles and these podcasts so necessary because people are still justifying what stares them in the face. And we cannot ignore that. We can't look at that and say, well, you know, it is what it is because these are the people who are making up the juries that convict or acquit those who should be convicted. And this is this is uh, a mentality that permeates the church as well. Um, this isn't just something that is present in society out there somewhere. No, it's in our lives. It's in the pews. It's in the pulpit. It's, it's in every part of of how we do life 
And Tyler, the point you bring up is so important because I think people in the racial majority have a really difficult time resonating with the lived experience of many African Americans. And that that strikes a fatal blow to any sort of solidarity or justice. Because if you can't hear the perspective of a minority and say, okay, although that hasn't been my experience, I can see the truth of what they're saying. We'll never be able to genuinely understand each other. We'll never be able to tell the truth about how we live and experience America, and we'll never be able to truly reconcile. And so I would urge folks, even if it's not your experience, it's not just Jamar writing a blog post. It's not just Tyler eloquently speaking on a podcast. This is the experience of many, many African Americans. In in fact, I can't think of a single African American male who hasn't had an encounter with law enforcement that has been emblazoned in their memory because it was so dramatic and traumatic, um, justified or unjustified. And so at what point, (laughs) how many people have to say, this is the way things are for black people in America, for folks in the majority to say, you know what, you might have a point. I may not uh, yeah. have have experienced it myself, but at some point, this chorus of voices, not only in the present, but also in the past, this is nothing new. Um, at some point, you've got to acknowledge the validity of our claims. Yeah. Yeah, and let's switch gears here for the last few minutes to talk about one of the statements that you made before this section that we just read, where you said, the march of injustice has taught me at least this much how to lament. And I'll I'll, I'll be honest that these types of podcasts are important and these types of, of things that we say are important for a number of different reasons, not just for bringing awareness for those who are in the dark, not just for a continued call to those who are in the majority culture to confront those around them who are, you know, pr- the progenitors and the proliferators of these ideas about Black people and this suspicion and this guilt and, and all these other things. But I think it's important because man, we do not know and understand the long-term effects of having to constantly deal with these situations. And lament has been so useful in this season. Lament has been so helpful. Biblical lament, not just crying out for, for no reason, not just crying out aimlessly, but biblical lament, as you mentioned, has helped me so much. There was a time right after the verdict was handed down where I just tweeted, man, I still can't believe this. Like, I can't believe that this dude is dead. Right. And even in the points of lament, it's just, it's amazing how people, there's such a gap in the the discipleship of the Christian church that we can't even lament. We can't even say, I'm heartbroken without people stepping onto our statuses. Oh, (laughs) Without people... Being in our mentions without people DMing us, without people emailing us, and 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 it's not shots at anybody in particular. I'm just saying, I just, I still, I'm just shocked. Like I, I can't understand it. Like we can't even say we're heartbroken about this stuff without people saying, "Well, you know, actually, well, actually, well, well, you know, if he wouldn't have done this, and if he wouldn't, you know, this hyper rationalization." So I was talking to somebody today about this that lament and this natural human emotion experiencing this. It's a little bit like 
in the Christian church, we want to fly to a destination. So my friend was traveling to a particular destination. He called me. We were talking for a little bit about a traumatic situation he's going through. And I said, man, you're headed to this destination and you're driving. But imagine if you are flying. If you're flying, you get there quicker. If you're driving, there's specific routes that you have to take. You have to take steps like to get there. And if you skip a step, you won't get to your destination or it'll take much longer to get to that destination. And so the destination I think we're going for is this healing, this justice, this reconciliation, whatever it may be, even though that term racial reconciliation, we need to bury that. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> but so when we're talking about getting to that point though, I think a lot of people want to fly there. They don't want to have to hit the steps. And I think the steps on the journey are what's important. It's what produces the healing. And I think one of those steps is lament, is the biblical is the biblical idea of crying out to God and that confusion, like listing our pain. Like those steps that Sung Chan Ra gives in prophetic lament is so helpful. You know, just listing our pain, just saying specifically what it is. Like and and also listening for God's response, right? Listening for what God says out of his word. We're skipping these steps. And that's why your article and podcast and just sitting around the table with our brothers and sisters and venting sometimes is so helpful and useful for us because it proves that we're not just trying to fly and teleport ourselves to racial healing and harmony, but it more so proves that we're willing to encounter the journey. The journey, it took us a long time to get to the place we're at. It's going to take us a long time to get to that other destination that we want. Yeah, when we walk through the valley, sometimes that's when we sense the presence of the shepherd most strongly. And I agree, Tyler, we, we like to fly over, we want to fly over these problems, but we got to go through the terrain of sorrow and and hmm. the hills and the mountains and the valleys of it. And, and in God's mysterious providence, he actually redeems that so that, that these painful experiences are part of shaping us, are part of making us better. And this is why I'm so indebted to the black church tradition is yeah. the black church knows how to lament. And these situations where it's blow after blow after blow, no indictment, acquittal, you know, the person gets off scot-free and it seems like there's no end. It reminds me of, of, of perhaps what it must have felt like to be a slave in the midst of slavery. when there, Before the Civil War, when there was no end in sight, how did people survive knowing that the entire society was built on their bondage and there was right. no hope? in this life right. of anything changing. I'm like, how do you laugh? How do you have, have children? How do you fall in love in that environment? And I think one mm. of the keys is is lament. Uh, black Christians found a way to express their sorrow in a cathartic, worshipful manner that actually gave them strength to endure oppressive conditions. And praise the Lord, we're not in race-based chattel slavery with literal chains on us. Uh, but I do think we have echoes of that. We have echoes of our ancestor sure. strength. We have echoes of injustice that still bind mm. us. Uh, but through it all, this, this medium of lament 
in in various forms. Sometimes it's wordless, just just kind of a groan. Sometimes it's a prayer. Sometimes it's it's gathering with a group of of people who understand and just weeping. But that medium of lament enables our survival in a society that is slanted against blackness and black people at its very yeah. foundation. So yeah, it's, it's absolutely, critical, man. That's so well discipline. said, bro. And and the last thing I'll say, man, is I was talking with somebody being interviewed um, on a podcast recently, and and I said, you know, I feel really called to in this season of my life. Not to say that it'll ever necessarily change or it's going to stay this way, but I I feel specifically called to the black church, and I think one of the reasons is if on Sunday I walk up to the front during our worship time, kneel down, lift up my hands, and cry and weep. They're not going to feel that that's strange. Wow. You know, it's 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 not that someone won't ask me, how are you doing? You know, like, you okay? But I know that someone will come with one of those little sheets <laughs> and put it on my back and mm. put their hands on me and say, it's okay. Mm. I know that. Like I know if I if I do that and you know at, on our Sunday service someone will do that. And how how comforting it is to know that there's that freedom and there's that ability to enter into that suffering with me without having to pull me out and say nah nah you 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 going to have to you going to have to stand up and you going to have to rise up and you're not going no no <laughs> in that moment you can weep and that's okay. In that moment, you can cry out to God and you can say why. In that moment, you can you can groan. In that moment, you can lay prostrate before the Lord. And when you get up, we're going to give you a big hug and we're going to sit with you. And we're going to hear what the Lord has to say in response to your lament. So that's why I feel called to it. You know, One of the many reasons, but there's that space and we need that space because if we don't get it, we're going to go crazy, man. Uh... Bro, what time does service start? Because I'm hitting the road. <laughs> 10 a.m., bro. 10 a.m. Slide through. Man, that sounds beautiful. And wouldn't it be a, a beautiful picture of Christ's church if all people in the midst of their various oppression and persecution felt that freedom to lament? And if we gave them space yeah. for that, man, that's that's a beautiful picture. Amen, brother. Thank you so much for writing this article, Jamar. Um, it is it goes without saying that you're a, a an important voice in this season of the church for the body. You're a gift to the body of Christ, and we just honor you, man. Not just as a president of Rand, co-host of Pastor Mike, but also as just a, a Christian, godly man working working this out and kind of taking us into your thought process, man. We appreciate you, brother. Hey, man, I've received that and praise the Lord. Thank you for reading. We want you guys to continue to follow us on Facebook. You can like the Ren Network page. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter at underscore pass the mic is our Twitter handle. We also got some fresh new pass the mic logo action what? for you guys. So you can go and look up what that logo is. Uh, you probably see it on the podcast now. So it's all good. There's going to be some new swag associated with that. So as Jamar was saying, he couldn't, he couldn't help himself. He had to let it out the bag, but be on the lookout for that. We also want you guys to join our private Pastor Mike Facebook group. Listen, 
there are thousands of people in this group. We're trying to vet people as much as possible. So it's not like an open group that you can just be joined by someone adding you. So bear with us. If it takes you a little bit of time to get into the group, don't worry. We'll let you into the group in due time. If you got any issues, you can DM us or you can tweet at us and, and ask us questions. And some people have done that, but we just want to let you know. We're just trying to make sure ain't no crazy people getting in the group. It's happened before. You know how the internet's be. Okay. <laughs> so, but we do want you guys to join the PTM Facebook group. And again, tweet us your PTM Freedom playlist. We are excited about hearing what you guys want us to listen to and jam to as we continue this journey of lament and hopeful joy and resistance. We also want to shout out our producers. Number one, our producer, Joshua Heath, who's been doing an amazing job over the past few weeks. Thank you, Joshua. Stepping in and stepping up in so many different ways. Josh, thank you so much. Go online and follow him. He also is a producer of Truth's Table, our sisters, the amazing Truth's Table podcast. But you guys, listen, you already know y'all should be subscribed to Truth's Table. You know, it's interesting. Before I said, before, well, before I say that, I want to shout out, of course, our executive producer, Bo York, the award winning. Producer Bo York, and I have to mention, and we'll talk more about this in the next podcast. But we got a shout out from the New York Times, what? Truth's Table, and Pass the Mic. The New York Times, the New York Times for race based podcasts. That's nuts, man. About time. The oh. only two, <laughs> the only two faith based or Christian based podcasts that are articulating the hope of Christ right here, man. That's nuts, bro. It's crazy. So shout out to our listeners for making that happen. You guys are amazing. Guys, we we miss y'all. We miss y'all. Y'all got to meet us at Legacy of LDR so we can give y'all a hug for all this that you have been doing for us. We appreciate our listeners. Until next time, we'll see you soon on the next Pass, Pass the, mic. the Mic. We out of here. Listening to Pass the Mic, a Pottery production. To find out more about this and other shows, visit Pottery.com. That's P-O-D-A-S-T-E-R-Y.com. This episode is brought to you in part by Ministry Pivot with Russell St. Bernard. This podcast features important conversations with industry leaders such as Nona Jones, Bishop Walter Scott Thomas, Reverend Dr. Nicole Martin, and so many more. Visit ministrypivot.com or on all streaming platforms.